Hey, hey, what's good, everyone? And you're back with Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. And for this episode, it's a doubleheader. I've got two amazing guests coming on to talk about their debut music. First up, it's Toronto-based singer-songwriter Danny Horowitz for his two new singles, Seasons Change and Moving On. Both deal with the concept of moving forward from tough times, and Danny and I talk about the real-life experiences that influence them. He is just putting out his first uh, two songs, Seasons Change and Moving On, both really, really powerful tunes. I highly recommend checking them out. Singer-songwriter Danny Harvitz joins me. Danny, welcome to the show, man. I am so happy that we could do this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad we could do this, too. Of course, man. Of course. So so you are really just beginning your foray into music. You, you uh, recently released your two singles, part of the forthcoming album, Free Times. First question to you, though, is what led you to do music? Because uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but you are not a super young person. I'm, I'm not, uh, which... I only know looking at pictures of me when I was younger, because you look in the mirror every day and you're like, ah, I'm still young. But the truth is I've been playing music and writing music forever, basically my whole life. And the real question is why didn't I do this earlier? Well, it's the kind of thing you put off and you put off and you do open mic nights here, you jam with friends, you write songs, you play to the room, you play for you know, uh, people you're dating and so on. And, and um, at some point friends had encouraged me to put demos and the silver lining of the pandemic for me was to get the equipment to do home demos. Uh, happened to be at a, at a park where a friend of a friend, you know, was encouraging me to send it to him. I sent him a couple of demos. He liked it. He passed me and those demos on to a, someone he knows in Toronto at a recording studio and he, who liked them and said, I'll, I'll work with you. So it might, it might've happened earlier in my life. It might never have happened ever, but at the very least in this era of, you know, music democratization, I'm very grateful to be able to put up music and I'm very happy with the results. I feel like it happens at the time it does for a reason. Like you, maybe you weren't ready or maybe you weren't willing to take that step to say, okay, it's out there. The world can hear me now. What was it like though, when you're, when your first like single dropped and it was out there for the whole like world to experience? It was a real trip. I've been sitting on these tunes for, for quite a while. So it's a longer arc than you might think because the arc of singing it to myself and then going through the collaborative process and hearing it and thinking like, wow, this is much better than I thought. Wow, this is great. When people hear it, they're really going to love it. And then having to depress my expectations, knowing that part of the reason I'm able to do all this is because anybody can do music and there's so much music out there. And then thinking now that it's out there, whoever hears it, great. I hope they like it. I hope that they share it. But just remember that I'm still very happy with it for myself, no matter what. And, and I'm very happy that the, you know, I got some indie press coverage here in, uh, in, in Canada and, and in the States. And it's been very positive. I've, the people who've listened have really liked it. But, um, but I think it was more about managing my expectations, if that answers the, the question. Because as far as the music goes, I'm super happy with it. But as far as the experience of putting it out there, it's a lot of, you know, like you said, I'm I'm not young, I'm not new. There's no labels who want to back me. Just manage the expectations, make the best music, and hope people listen. Exactly. Well, I'd say you're off to a really good start uh, because, as you mentioned, you have uh, gotten some write-ups. You're at something like like five thousand streams like per song. So for someone who's just kind of jumping into this, I'd say great start. But I want to dive a little more into the stories behind the songs. So moving on, the very clear theme of like moving forward and 
very different from most songs about breakups because mostly they focus on that experience. Yours is almost like, hey, well, it happened and now we're taking that, that uh, next step. I want to ask about like personal experience. How did this kind of factor into the story? You know, I should say I've written all kinds of uh, breakup songs, sad songs, FU songs, self-loathing songs. There's just a whole genre of songs around, around breakups and they're all great. And I love sad songs because they're more complicated. In this case, I remember waking up a couple of weeks after I'd broken up with a girl and uh, feeling, feeling good. And I was like, this is, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta capture this. I, I can't remember when I felt good. And I, I wrote down some things and then I started refining it and I knew that it was gonna be a bright and an upbeat song. But to the point I made earlier about collaborators, although it was a bright song, what really kicked it into high gear was when I worked with my producer, Calvin, um, in the in the studio, he's like, let's introduce accordions. Let's get a pub feel. Let's, let's have you do uh, um, really heavy percussion. And then I thought, well, what if we did, you know, we did like a bunch of stomps and claps. He said, that's great. Let's do eight of them. And now it sounds like a big, you know, it builds itself up to a group thing where it's even happier, more excited, more community oriented, energetic than even the original story really, really meant. The story was really like waking up or staying up all night and looking out the window through the dawn and thinking, man, I, I haven't felt good in a while and I feel good, I'm ready for the day. It's kind of simple. But now it's like telling the story of that to your friends at a bar and then the whole bar being like, I know that. And they're all joining in as is you know, traditional in musical stories. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's very like accurate too because like we all break up and you know, we, we've all had that experience where you think, oh, this is my life now, the sadness. And then eventually we wake up one day and think, oh, I'm feeling good now. I'm feeling okay. Yeah. And one line that I think really sums it up pretty well was, all my haunting memories do not mean a thing to me. Tell me about that particular experience. Yeah, that, I think that was the first line that I wrote. Um, <laughs> and year, years ago in undergrad, I was just writing poetry on the subway in Montreal. And I remember seeing my face in the subway. And I was like, like the apparition, the ghosts that is, that is me, that what I was and I'm moving forward. Something like that didn't really have any meaning that wasn't real. I was just exercising my, my writing. And some other phrase haunting memories came to me. And the haunting memories are the memories of all the, the good things that you did with this person that you were so sad about. The memories that haunted you, the what might have been, the, oh, I was so happy. And now when you look at the reflection in the mirror, all you just see is yourself and you feel good. Those, those memories that haunted me two days ago, they don't mean anything to me right now. Now I'm happy to be here in the moment moving on. Mm-hmm. What do you say, I guess, is like the message, though, for the folks like listening to this? Of the song? Oh, boy, that's a tough question, because I, I always leave it up to whoever wants to listen to the song, make up your own mind about what it means to you. But for me, the, the real message comes sort of at the end, where through the darkness comes the dawn, and surely it don't matter none where you're going, only that you're moving. That Especially when you're a young person and you go through heartbreak, you think it's the end of the world. But as you go through a couple of these end of the world scenarios, as you get a little older, you know, when you're in your late 20s, you realize it's not the end of the world. Your life is more valuable than that. You have more valuable than that. Look at the people you surround yourself with, your friends and your family who care about you. Like what you're going through is much broader than just these these moments. And, And I think that because music, rock music, pop music is so youth oriented, it focuses so much on the intensity of the moment of the breakup and not the broader picture. When we're in our when we're in our twenties, uh, we just spend all those years just like racking up all these emotional scars, and then we get to our thirties yeah. and we could not give a fuck. That's right. 
Uh, it's funny you say that because another song on the album is called The Scar, and it's another very adult theme. <laughs> it's coming out in February, just, just in time for Valentine's Day. And the theme is ultimately self-loathing. It's about finding someone who you think is great from afar when they're at a distance, like almost Lilliputian, perfect. And then you get to know them and date them and realize that you can't stand them and you hate yourself for being unable to love them. And there's these really complicated dynamics you get into as an adult as you're trying to figure out who you are, who you want, who you wanna be, who you wanna be with, that when you're younger, you don't have. It's just, I feel so passionate about this person and they love me and it's great or they reject me and it's not. And actual relationships are more complicated and um, actual human stories are, are more mature and more interesting. Dude, I have totally been there. I've definitely had those relationships. Like, we seem so perfect. Why can't I make it work? What am I doing wrong? Yeah, yeah. I've been on both sides of that. I'm sure you have too. It's it's a human it's a human thing. Yeah. Is that the overall theme though of free times that like change and experience and kind of like growing from it? Yeah, that's probably the dominant theme of a lot of my songs because I want to write stories and you can't really have a story without an arc. You sometimes you can have a good song with a melody and the words don't have that meaning, but I'm trying to write aspirationally, you know, stories through poetry and melody. So there's always going to be that kind of either change or discovery in some capacity hmm. or, or an explanation to the, to the listener about what has happened. Uh, you know, an unreliable narrator is a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. Was that the plan overall, like from the start? No, it, it was that I have like dozens of songs that I've written through the years and I worked. So I mentioned my friend of a friend who passed me on to the producer. I sent him a bunch of songs and he said, here are the songs that I really like of like the 40 that I sent him. He was like, here's 16 that I like. And I was like, oh, that's less, less than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was a better songwriter than this. And from those 16, I selected 10, the 10 that I thought would be either the ones that I like playing the most at home or the ones that I thought would be the most interesting to listen to once finished. And only once you step back and look at it, not even when you record them, but when you're finished all the instrumentation, then how does it sound and how does it look? Then you kind of get a feel for what the, the album is. And the name Free Times, as much as I love it and as much as I think about it as like the real message that I'm always telling myself, it's actually named after a, a cafe in Toronto, a restaurant called the Free Times Cafe, where I had a concert on my birthday and I just had a great night and this feeling of euphoria uh, at the end of that uh, is the same feeling of euphoria as putting out my music into the world. Nice, nice. So you've had the chance to get out there, play before the crowd. Uh, what was that like, especially like like the first time you did it? Uh, it's the it's the best feeling in the in the world. Um, you know, I don't think that there's really anybody but performers who get to go in front of people and at the end they just clap for you. Sometimes they're standing up and they're just clapping for you and they're looking at you and you know, uh, you're playing music and people are drinking or they're eating. And sometimes there's kind of a quiet and you're not, you know, because you practice so much when you get up there, you don't really notice them, but you can feed their energy. And sometimes you do kind of notice the quiet and you're like, wow, they're really listening. So it's, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. And it'd be, it'd be great to get back to that. What I need to figure out now that I have all these studio uh, songs is, can I get it back on stage just with a guitar or should I get a band behind me? Those kinds of good problems to, uh, to have, but can I just go back to one thing you said about the stories on free times? I'm glad you pointed that out because I did try to put the order of the songs to sort of get through the stories that each of them tell, because they really are about love or about loss or about self-care, self-love, about ego, these sort of parts of us. I wish I, but it's not a, quite a concept album. So I just wanted to close that thought. 
Uh, moving on to uh, Seasons Change, uh, definitely a very different vibe, as you mentioned. Uh, moving on, it's very like upbeat, there's clapping, there's stomping, it's very much like a pub song. Seasons Change is a way more like mellow tune. The message I got, and I could be wrong, happens a lot, is that of like enduring change, kind of like getting through it and moving on. Well, Max, I want to say, first of all, I go back to the point that the reader is the author, not the writer. So whatever meaning you take out of it, all I care about is that you like it. I think if you like it, I don't really care what, I mean, I, I care, but I don't, it doesn't matter to me what the meaning is as long as you you enjoy it and you think that there's enough in there for you to get meaning out of it. For me, it's it wasn't really a personal song. It's a story I wrote um, after something I read in a blog by Roger Ebert. He was the, you know, the film critic, Roger Ebert. He's one of my favorites to read. And also I love his blog. And he, he wrote that his life philosophy is he believes all people should be two things throughout their lifetimes, curious and teachable. And I was just noodling around on the guitar as I do. And I, I sang to myself that the world is built by the curious and bored by the one, uh, broke by the ones who are bored. And I, I wrote it down and I thought, that's good. I should come back to that. And I just created a story, I think similar to what you're talking about when you say moving on. It's about people who didn't know each other a little while ago. They're not going to know each other in a while from now, but they know each other now. They like and they appreciate each other and they don't know where life will lead them. They just hope that both will continue to be the good people that they know each other are or else become the miserable type, the miserable types who go through the world breaking everything. And again, I think that's more of an adult, more of a mature look at human beings than you might you might otherwise have in pop songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. Because usually, you know, like uh, I, I think it's like we said before, you know, most breakup songs, they focus solely on the pain, you know, the misery, yeah. you know, you know, they left me and I'm hurting really bad. It's actually kind of rare when I when I come across one that's very hopeful, like, hey, you know, things things get better and I'm doing OK now. Things get better. I'm doing OK. Things will be better for you and you'll be OK, too. Yeah, because like like. That moment, yeah, it sucks, but it's just a moment in your life. It it's like it really amounts to like less than like the blink of an eye. And I think people yeah. sometimes just focus on that one thing as if like, okay, this is the rest of my life, next like sixty years, seventy years, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's one of those things, whether you're the one telling someone else, don't let the seasons ruin you, or you're being the one being told, don't let the seasons ruin you. It is a good message. Mm-hmm. All right. So We've got the two singles, you've got the forthcoming album, you've got the really like high quality promo shots, I've seen that. Um, you're, 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 you're really just like, you know, off to the races here. Um, but do I'm you trying. see this as a career for you or is it more something you're just kind of pursuing and seeing where it goes? It's tricky, I get that question and obviously in an ideal world, doing this full time would be the dream, that would be the best. It's tough to make a living as a musician. I can't count on it. And because I've got a, a decent day job, I can afford to make the music that I want to make on my terms and put it out there. Not having a label behind me means I don't get the reach that you might want to have, but not having a label behind me means I can make it as I want to. So if it grows organically and I'm able to do it full time, great. If not, and I got to use my vacation days to go on tour on my own, so be it. It's whatever comes my way. But in the meantime, when I open the door and I step into the little box that is music world, I'm applying myself with as much vigor and zeal as I can to make it real while I'm in that moment. And when I step outside into my regular life, if it's back to everything else, that's great too. It would be, I'm not going to lie. It'd be great to to get that kind of momentum, but you, can, you just, you can't count on it because the very thing that allowed me to make the music is the very thing preventing from me from being big. It's a weird catch 22 because like I said before, 
not having a label limits your reach out there. You know, you, know, you don't have like a press team working for you, sending out those press releases and doing your socials for you. But on the other side of it, you now have a complete freedom to do your music your way. Which do you think is more important, the reach or the authenticity? Well, let me just say that I do have a, a, a press agent, a guy named Eric Alper, who, who I, who I uh, hired to do some press for me. And he got me some of the press and he's awesome and excellent. And I, I would be remiss to say that just people found me by accident because I don't find you by accident. You have to work hard, and you, but you also have to hire good people, even if it's not with the budget of a label. Um, I think it really depends what you want. I'm at a place where I would rather make the music that I want to make and music that I love playing. And so when I play it, I love it. I go out there either to on a stage or just in my room and, and I love it and I listen to it, if that counts as authenticity. But on the other hand, I would fault nobody for saying all they really want to do is play music. All they really want to do is perform. All they really want to do is do the thing that lets them keep doing that act that they love. And if you love performing and someone is like, here's a song, you'll find a way to, to, to love that. So I, I don't think that there is a, a, a right answer. And uh, um, even just caging in terms of like, you know, uh, reach versus authenticity, they're not, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Now, if you uh, found yourself in a hole where you learned to play an instrument when you were younger and you hate it, and you hate doing the thing, and you hate the music you're doing, get out of it. Don't do music. If you love music, do music no matter what. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked earlier about uh, collaborations, and certainly this is like, I think, the lifeblood for any artist is who they get to work with. Um, who have you had the chance to collaborate with so far, and who's on your list of folks you want to work with? Well, so right now, uh, on this last album, I collaborated chiefly with with uh, three people. My, my producer, engineer, and mixer, Calvin Hartwick, who's also the manager of the Dreamhouse Studios in Toronto. Sean Royal, who's the bassist for a band called Shade, and he did pretty much all the instrumentation you, you hear on the album. He's amazing. And a guy named John Foster, who's, a, who's an incredible session drummer. Um, on the next album, which I've already gone and done the, the bass and drum, drums track for, it'll be out like way later in a year from now, a guy named Cola, uh, who is the drummer for an indie Toronto band named the OBGMs. And they're awesome. And he's awesome. And we're going to have a lot more energy um, coming into this next, to, to the second album to kind of shake it up. It's hard to say who I would have a dream working with because I would look to the songs that I've written and I would ask my producer, like in his world, what is he, you know, I trust Calvin so much. Uh, say, what do you think? Who, who would be a good person? Or I would give him my half-baked ideas and he might know this independent artist and this unknown. I think it might be more, if it's songs I've written, maybe like un- unknowns who can give their own take to it. There's a lot of great independent bands. Uh, and there's a lot of great indie bands in Toronto that I admire, but I don't want to put a name out there and then like, you know, not happen and be disappointed. <laughs> I get you, man. I get you. Uh, how did you and Kelvin meet? So, uh, like I said, I did these demos and then I went to a park uh, where there's COVID. So everything's like outside. You remember this is summer 2020. And I have these demos in place that I was recording at home, figuring like, what do I do with this? And I have a friend named Lauren and Lauren has a friend named Kevin who moved to Toronto from Calgary and he happened to be there. And I know that he does something about music, but I didn't know what. Turns out he's a, a, a producer an artist for electronic dance music. And he's like, send me your stuff. You know, my, my roots are in folk music. I'd love to listen to it. He heard it and he thought, look, I, I could help you mix it, but I actually know a guy at a studio, the studio that I kind of do my work at and I've passed it along to him. He liked it. And that was Calvin. So Calvin just, I guess, happened to hear it. And uh, to that end, the secret that I've learned that if you, what I could have done years ago, but there is no could, there is no should, we are where we are. But for anybody listening, 
you can probably cold call studios and ask them who are their producers, what are their experiences, would they be interested in working with you? As it turns out, Calvin is this incredibly accomplished mixer and engineer. The last, you know, last year, he had a couple of albums that were shortlisted for the Polaris Prize, which is Canada's most prestigious music prize. And one, and one of them was actually, actually won the prize itself, Cadence Weapons Parallel World. So I'm working with some pretty you know, heavy, heavy hitters in that, in that regard. Um, and there's a lot of people with great experience, whatever city you're in. So cold call them if you don't know anybody. If you know somebody, ask them who they know and just see. Always ask the question. The worst you're going to yeah. get is no. But always ask because you never know where it's going to take you. That's how I got on this podcast. We we started chatting on Instagram. I was like, I, I would love to be a guest. And you said, you know what? Uh, okay. Yeah. Simple as that. You know, and like you asked, I could have easily said no, but at least you would have had an answer and you could say, you know what? I tried. I gave it a shot. Exactly. Kind of like yeah. where we are now with you putting on your music. You could have said, you know what? This is never going to work. My music is crap. It'll never catch on. And But so you said, you know what? I'm going to try and see where it takes me. It's one of those things. And maybe even going back to that first question about why I did it older instead of younger. There are so many insecurities you have in your life and so many things you have to deal with to figure out who you are. And then you've got this list of things you want to do before you die. They're not bucket lists because if you don't get to them, no problem. But you want to get in shape. You want to read all the books by this author you love. And then eventually the things that you really want to do that are closer to the bottom of the list because they're the things you're most afraid to do because they're the things you want to do the most of all. You get to them and you have no more excuses. And uh, and that's that's how it happens. Exactly. So, Danny, what is next for you? The big question. What's next? So, for the next couple of months, I'm releasing a bunch of singles. Uh, one on December 31st, one in February before Valentine's, as I said, one in March, and then the full album in in April. I'd love to have done two singles in the full album, but we live in the era of playlists. So getting as many singles as I can out of the studio work is what I'm working on. Also, I did this great photography, like you said, shout out to Denise Grant, who's like the greatest photographer in the world. And I'm so thrilled to have been able to work with her. Um, when that's done, hopefully I'll be able to do some shows either in and around town here, or maybe go out. We'll see. But in the meantime, I'm also back in the studio working on more music. We're going to put instruments and vocals on some of those tracks. So I've got a pipeline of you know either an album or an EP or something to keep the music going. And that's really all that's next for me is I think you could probably expect the next little while, as long as I have songs that I think are good enough to be recorded, I'm going to work and I'm going to record them. And I hope it builds enough momentum that people, uh, people listen to them and find them meaningful. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. All right. Well, Danny, uh, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really uh, appreciate it. And for the folks at home, uh, where do they go to find out more about you and to check your music? Well, the best place is Spotify. Look for Danny Horvitz, D-A-N-Y-H-O-R-O-V-I-T-Z. I'm also on Instagram at Danny Horvitz, same spelling. I'm on Twitter, though I don't use it much except to tweet about the Toronto Raptors, same spelling. You can also find me on Facebook at Danny Horvitz Music. I would say I'm most active on Instagram and I would say that Spotify is the best place to listen to my music, but you can get it on Apple, Deezer, wherever you get your music. So please listen. Absolutely, folks. Definitely check out Seasons Change, Moving On, absolutely amazing songs, and of course, more to come. And Danny, we'll talk soon. Hi, this is singer Kate Eppers, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. Okay, folks, it's musical break time. Kick back, relax, and enjoy the two new singles from Danny Horowitz, Seasons Change, and Moving On. 
After that, I'm talking with LA-based artist Zoha for her debut single, Outsider. The track is honest and heartfelt, describing the often undiscussed inequalities in America. Zoha and I talk about what she's seen of these inequalities and how she crafted the lyrics.
I'd lost direction, couldn't see my own reflection Standing still but many miles I found myself after a while in the bright Morning light As the paper it is written on And I was played As only fools and mother nature's many sons Can say the same Who awake cannot remember Longing for the wild fever Dreams that in the moment broke them them till at last awoken, realized They're still alive And all my haunting memories, they do not mean a thing to me They faded and I know I lost my marbles But I kept my promise too, I met the night Has slowed its beating When you've paused your overthinking When you've stopped your search for meaning Then you find You've cleared your mind And all my haunting memories They do not mean a thing to me They faded and I know I lost my marbles But I This your girl Molly McCoy, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best in music, movies, and a whole lot more. LA-based artist Zoha joins me. Zoha, welcome to the show. It is so cool to have you here. Thank you so much, Max, for having me. I'm super excited to be here. All right, all right. Let's dive right into the story behind the song. So this track, which you released back in mid-November, is all about discussing the rather 
often like undiscussed inequalities in America. It's a conversation we don't have and we should. Why this topic? Why take on this for your debut single? Hmm, that's a good question. I think being a teenager in the midst of the pandemic arised a lot of, you know, issues for me and internal issues. So when I was seeing these things like the Breonna Taylor incident, the George Floyd incident, and incidents like that unfold, it just it it made me feel a type of way seeing people, you know, people of color, women being discriminated against in the real world. And I think having time to myself and having time to unpack these issues internally kind of gave me that um, motivation to write this song. And I think, you know, that's what it's all about. And certainly this has been, I think, a big year of us taking on those issues. In talking to like your friends, people um, in your uh, generation, how big a deal is this? I'd say among my friends, at least, we we are all very passionate about this topic, considering, you know, especially my school, we're incorporating more diversity into the faculty, into the student body. And I think that has created empathy within me and within a lot of other people seeing our friends, you know, growing more and more diverse and understanding that they go through those struggles. So it's important to stick up, you know, for their communities as well as ours. And I think the reason that a lot of other people are sometimes afraid to talk about these issues is because they are important issues, but they're also very heavily rooted in past practices. For example, like these are generational things and those things are hard to change, especially when somebody has been taught these things over the span of like say 50 years. So if you've been taught these practices, they're kind of ingrained in your brain. So it it takes a while to undo that, so to speak. Yeah. One thing I hear, especially from uh, folks in um, I'm a, in um, my parents' generation or my grandparents is, oh, well, I grew up, uh, the neighborhood was, you know, A, B, and C, and now it's X, Y, and Z. And I think that is too often used as a, an excuse for being, you know, being discriminatory, being like racist, being like prejudiced. And it's like, I get that the neighborhoods change, you're not loving it, but change can be good. Here's exactly. Exactly. So... I just find it funny when people bring up that argument because they want to take the newer, you know, stuff that they do like, for example, technology. They're like, oh, my God, there's a new phone coming out, blah, 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 blah. So if you're going to adjust to that, why not adjust to the changing social issues? Why not adjust to, you know, the changing social times? And I think it's important if you're going to take, you know, those new ideas, you might as well take all of them and, you know, try and implement them and try and have an open mind about those issues. That's a very good point. I think for people who do that, it's such a, it's such hypocrisy to say, yeah, because like you said, oh, I love the new phones. I love the new tablets, but I don't want to see my neighborhood change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how did you go about like framing what you wanted to say in a song? Did you wind up going through a lot of different drafts and ideas before you said, okay, I like this. I'm ready for it. Honestly, I didn't even think I was going to write a song about it, to be quite frank. I... I love to write poems. Um, so I think that's where kind of my song writing, song, uh, you know, writing ability sprouted from. But um, I, I, I think that seeing all of this unfold, like right before my eyes, and I live in LA, so we're exposed to a lot of those issues. I'm exposed to, you know, a lot of diversity within my community, within my school. So, you know, living in LA, having exposure to all of those events kind of prompted me like I've always loved music. So I was like, I'm going to make a message through what I'm passionate about, which is my music. So I figured the best way to package and deliver that message to the broader community would be through, you know, songwriting. 
and you're very blunt with what you say. You know, you talk about like arriving in the country on a boat, on a bus, uh, pursuing uh, pursuing the American dream. I want to ask about that though, because I feel like the American dream isn't what our grandparents grew up with. But for someone in your generation, how do you view the American dream? So this song was not actually written from my perspective. So in school, I had been doing a lot of research about institutionalized racism, you know, systemic inequality. And I was thinking about, you know, all the people that have come here that have immigrated here to start a better life for themselves. And I tried to put myself in their shoes, if that makes sense. So I think essentially I was trying to put my audience in their shoes so they could understand, you know, what the American dream is like for immigrants. And um, a lot of people think the American dream is so easy. You just come here. If you work hard enough, you can start a better life. But that's not that's not the whole story. You know, if you're a white male, then, yeah, you know, the American dream can come easier than, um, say, if you were a Latino woman, woman, woman. Um, And I think factoring in those identifiers is important when considering how hard someone works or, you know, stuff like that. So it shouldn't be an excuse when talking in that scenario. How does that make you feel? You have this very serious imbalance, because like you said, white male, easy. It's like life on easy mode for anyone else, super hard mode. Exactly. There's so many, there's so many emotions. I think for me, just being a woman of color, um, I've heard it from my mom. I've heard it from my grandmother. It's just life is so different for so many people. And being like discriminated against for something you can't control should not be even, you know, even a thought, especially in our generation today. Like that should be completely erased. But unfortunately, it isn't. So I think it's important to arise these messages and bring awareness to topics such as these so we can then educate other people because some people did grow up in environments where they weren't exposed to this type of, you know, to this type of education, to this type of schooling. So I think, um, you like music is a universal connector. So I figured, you know, exploring that through music would help get a broader audience to understand. And what's been the response since you, uh, released the song? Well, I live in a very supportive community that, you know, talks about these issues. So I think the response here has been really good. Um, I've gotten a lot of, you know, support from family, friends, teachers, and I think it goes along with the changing times. So, so far it's been pretty good. All right. When it comes to like future songs, do you think that each one should be taking on a different issue? That is a good idea. Um, I think I also wouldn't want to pigeonhole myself as an artist because this also was, you know, a passion project, but I don't want to limit myself to just that. I do think it is important to drive change through music. However, I love to dance. I love to sing. I want to make music that makes people feel good. Um, You know, whether that be heavy topics or just singing about nothing at all. So um, I think having the right balance of, you know, fun, dancey, kind of Dua Lipa inspired tunes, and then also balancing that out with like Lionel Richie inspired, you know, Michael Jackson type stuff. Um, Just having a nice balance of, you know, the hearty and then the light. Good references. I like that. Good references. I love 80s music. 80s music is the best. 80s or 90s, actually. 80s or 90s are two of the best generations for music. Who did you go up listening to? I grew up listening to almost every genre except country. I'm not big on country, so 
you know, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, You've just cut off an entire portion of the entire country. Well done. I, I apologize to everybody who loves country, but I, it's not my thing. Um, I mean, I could, I could see myself, you know, listening to it every once in a while, but it's, it's very rare. So, you know, in the car, I think my dad inspired a lot of my music taste. So we always grew up um, listening to all the eighties and nineties and even seventies. Um, I love Michael Jackson. I love um, Billy Joel. I, I just love, you know, all of the classic Whitney Houston. I love to sing Whitney. Um, just everybody from that generation. I think they had, you know, um, a lot of music that brought messages, but in a fun form. So I think that was kind of my inspiration also in writing Outsider because it's like you can bring such a powerful message through such a, you know, impactful song. And it just made me want to write it. Okay. I want to talk a little bit more about the message. Uh, this gets raised a lot through artists, whether they're like writers or musicians or filmmakers. They want to bring this message to the forefront, and they do, and then it kind of fades away, and then it gets brought back again, and then it fades away and wash, rinse, repeat. How do we keep the conversation going and keep this message in the here and now? I mean, it's a, it's an, it's a big topic and I think it's hard to, you know, center everybody's focus around one thing. So I think music is the first step, but also you have to keep pushing for that change. You have to, you know, um, bring awareness to fundraisers. You have to, you know, educate your friends and family on these topics so they can understand and educate, you know, their sons and daughters. And I think it's just important to keep that message spreading. And I think education is at the base of all of it because, you know, if you don't learn, you can't grow, um, in my opinion. So I think, yeah, just teaching, you know, everybody, whether they know previously or they don't mm -hmm. and not being judgeful about it. You know, I don't want to make this too, uh, too like political a show if we, if we can avoid it. But um, I, I really am curious to like talk a, a little more about this because one thing I'm seeing with your generation, especially, is I'm seeing a lot of passion for change. And it's very, very inspiring. You're out there. You're doing the marches. You're doing the protests. What would you say is driving this? I think as our as our society grows, there's going to be more diversity across all fronts, whether that be in gender, whether that be in sexuality, race, ethnicity, everything. So now it's, it's to the point where it's not just we're marching for fun. We're marching because this is our lives. We see people like us on TV. So we feel inspired to fight for ourselves. Otherwise, who's going to fight for us if we don't fight for ourselves, you know? So I think about it like that. I like that. You mentioned earlier on that your father was a, was a big like influence on you uh, musically in terms of like what you listen to. Do you come from a musical family? Hell no, 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 no. My dad, he does something in taxes, I think. And then my mom, um, well, actually, she is a filmmaker, and you know, she directed a lot of movies back in the day, um, back in India too. She was an actress, so I guess you know, I got that entertainment vibe. But um, nothing necessarily musical, I would say. Um, I think my biggest inspiration was my vocal teacher because I started, you know, singing very young, around like five or six. Um, and I'm currently 14. So, yeah, a couple years. Huh. So when you told them, you know, mom, dad, I want to pursue a career in music, what was their response? They were fully supportive. I think because... They, they've seen this drive in me from, you know, when I was very young and very few people know this early on 
what they want to pursue as their career. I think for me, it's, it's never really been a question. Like I've never had to think about it. I always, I had a passion for music and I've always, you know, grown up playing the piano, the guitar. Um, and it's just always been something that brought me so much happiness. So I think, yeah, there was really no question about it. That's really cool because I know that some parents, you know, their kids say, Hey mom, dad, I want to do music. And the immediate reaction is, Oh God, they're doomed. We've lost them. They're going to be living on the streets. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really lucky in that aspect because I think my parents, um, they know that I'm a hard worker and I'm also, you know, this comes with uh, bad sides too, but I'm a perfectionist. So they know I'm not going to stop until I get what I want. And I think, you know, that might be a good thing in the music industry. I definitely agree. I think you have to be something of a perfectionist. Otherwise, you're going to say, okay, let's, you know, we'll set a deadline. We'll put it out whether or not it's ready. How did that influence getting Outsider done? Did you have a hard time saying, okay, it's finished, no more tweaking, out it goes? It, I did have a hard time doing that because I was just like, oh, my God. You know what? There's this little chord that doesn't sound quite right. And there, it was just a bunch of things. But I think with everybody's help, and especially my vocal teacher, Miss Paratory, um, she kind of – she's well-versed in this industry. And she was like, Zoha, you're going to have many songs. You have to let it go and just send it out there. And so she was kind of like my final decider. And I was just like, okay, I can't dwell on this anymore. I just have to put it out there and see what happens. So I think it's all about um, taking risk and just, you know, putting yourself out there, which, you know, I'm growing and I'm learning how to do, I think. Mm -hmm. So right now we're really at the beginning of uh, your career. Do you think this makes you an artist? Yes, I do. I believe that throughout this process, it's not just the debut single that everybody sees. I feel like internally I've grown a lot as a human being, a lot as an artist. And I think throughout the process, I've learned so many things from my producer, from my teacher, from all my mentors. And I think that, you know, considers me an artist and, um, I definitely have some other works on the way that I'm really excited to share. So, Okay. Can you give us uh, a few hints as to what's coming up? Sure. So um, this one was, you know, a very big passion project that, you know, I, I put a lot of effort into. Um, the next one is going to be a little bit more fun, a little bit more, you know, inspired by like 80s synth sounds, if that makes sense. Um, can't give away too much, but think like the weekend, you know, um, like I said, Dua Lipa, those are, you know, some of my biggest inspirations, but I really love that 80s sound. Um, so, you know, you'll just have to wait and see. That is such like a great direction to go in musically, because I think that sometimes folks, they want to be like whoever's kind of like popular right now, but your style is very like nostalgic, at least for me, because I grew up in the 80s. Um, exactly. What about that generation of music do you enjoy so much? I think... I also love 80s movies. So I think just being in that element, seeing, you know, all the fun poppy colors and, you know, the bell bottoms and all that and just seeing, um, I love hearing the synth sound and just everything about that era just screams to me. Um, when I was younger, I had my whole room like 80s themed. I loved it so much. So I think that's just probably my biggest inspiration and in watching, you know, all the classic 80s movies. I just love it. Favorite 80s movie? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ooh, good answer. For sure. For sure. I, I've watched it hundreds of times. It's amazing. 
Nice. All right. I want to talk about living in L.A. Now, I know that a lot of folks go there because they think, okay, this is where the dream's, dream's going to happen. How did you wind up living out there and what's it been like for you? I pretty much grew up in L.A. my whole life. Um, you know, my parents, they moved here from India. Um, so I've just always lived here in L.A. And I think the biggest thing about L.A. that has helped me as an artist is having exposure to, number one, the diversity the diversity across all fronts, as I said before, that gives me a lot to write about and a lot of inspiration, and also the exposure to so many musical professionals in the industry. Like, I'm so fortunate to be in a place that is surrounded by, you know, creative people and musical people that, you know, are going to guide me along this journey, and I just have inspiration all around me, and it's really exciting. Okay. Any venues or places for shows that you are, like, dying to check out? Nothing in particular right now. I think I'm very early in my career. So, um, you know, I still got a lot to think about before I start about shows and stuff like that. But I'm excited to see, you know, where it takes me. I've talked to a lot of folks who have gotten their career started just as the whole world was basically coming to a halt. Um, what was that, what was that uh, like for you when you were, you know, putting all the groundwork together for launching Outsider, knowing that you couldn't do things like a release show? It was just kind of hard to navigate and kind of overwhelming, to be quite honest, because I was releasing my first song in the middle of a pandemic. So um, I think there was bad sides to that. But on the good side, on the bright side, I think it also gave me a lot of time to discover what my style was as an artist. So I think across a couple fronts, it did benefit me. Um, as weird as it sounds, it gave me time to really think about how I want this message to be delivered, you know, what photos I want for this, you know, song, um, the aura we're going for, the vibe we're going for, the message we're going for. And I think it was, you know, well executed. Okay. And now, of course, we're seeing some return to normal. We're seeing, you know, bands playing tours and shows and such. How are you pivoting now that you can do the more regular artist stuff? I think it's really helping because I have a lot more time. Of course, I have to balance it with school, but I have a lot more time to do studio sessions. I have a lot more time to meet with my vocal coach and, you know, keep writing, keep um, progressing in, you know, the songwriting journey. And I'm looking forward to figuring out, you know, when we can do shows, when we can, you know, start building up the fan base. And I'm really excited. Yeah. How do you balance school in this? That is a good question because... <laughs> I think the biggest thing that has helped me is making a schedule. Um, I am, you know, as an artist, we are not super organized all the time. So um, I think making sure I get in my assignments on time while prioritizing, you know, music, which makes me happy, which I need in my life. And I need to, you know, keep writing, keep, um, keep singing, keep practicing. And I think I usually do my homework first and then do music in the afternoon. So I have time to do both. Um, but yeah, I could never choose one or the other. It always has to be both. So mm -hmm. got to figure out a way to do it. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think it's, I think it's good that you do that because you don't want to just say, okay, I don't need school. I'm going to be an artist. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's important not to throw away my education whatsoever. Um, I, you know, I, I go to school, I, get A's. And I think it's important to maintain that, um, just to have, just so people know, you know, you have a good education as a backbone to your artistry. Um, and I think it's important to have both, um, in my case, at least growing up. Um, but yeah, 
as a high school student, I think grades are very much still important. Totally agree. I feel like you can't dive into this thinking, oh, it's going to like magically work out. Like ain't day now, exactly. I'll get that big contract exactly. and be making a million bucks a year. Not how it works. It, not in the slightest. It's so hard. <laughs> in a way, I think it's almost harder these days because we're um, exposed to so much more music and that's good. It's also tough because it makes, you know, an, an artist like yourself have to work that much harder to get that kind, that kind of exposure. So the question becomes, how do you make yourself known? I think one big thing is social media. Like social media is so prevalent in this generation today and in our society today. Um, and I think getting that out or putting my work out there through the media also helps me, although social media isn't all good. I think it really does help boost and get it to the broader audience, um, whether that be through TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, you know, all the various platforms. And I think that has helped me a lot. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think on your Instagram, I think you had something like 80 posts, but like 8,000 followers. That's a very good ratio there. Mm -hmm, yeah. Do you do a lot of planning when it, when it comes to deciding, okay, what I'm going to post and how I'm going to post it? Oh yeah, definitely. So I have like a social content calendar that we've got to keep track of and, you know, do all the captions and all that. But I think it's definitely worth it to see it all come together and um, definitely getting those engagement numbers that we want. So. All right. Well, Zoha, this has been really fun. I've really enjoyed talking to you about the music and your own backstory, but what's next for you? Honestly, I think we're just focusing on the next couple releases. So as I told you, we've got some fun dancey tunes on the way. And then hopefully I just want to make sure I have the right balance of work and of um, repertoire. So I want to make sure, you know, there are some passion projects and there are some fun stuff that make you want to get up and dance. So, you know, a lot's on the way. With lots and lots of synth. With lots and lots of synth. You can count on that. <laughs> I love it. All right, folks. Well, definitely check out uh, Zoha Music on Instagram. That's X-O-H-A Music. Follow her on Spotify. Outsider is an absolutely amazing song, and I am sure we'll be um, uh, talking soon. Thank you so much, Max. Okay, everyone. That brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Danny and Zoha for joining me. And be sure to check out their music. It is absolutely amazing and there is way more to come. You can follow this show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and find the show wherever you check out podcasts as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. To close things out, enjoy Zoha's new single, Outsider, a standout song both for its music and the message. As always, keep those ears open.
Just take time 